ages uh, newborn to uh, age four to the nursery for the remainder of the service. And as they're making their way out, I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the text for our sermon this morning. Uh, it's printed for you on page six of your worship folder. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you or there's one in the chair rack in front of you that you can use and I uh, believe the text of the, the scripture will be on the screen uh, before us. Hear now the word of God, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, beginning at verse 29 and reading through chapter 12, verse 3. And, and our focus this morning is really going to be on verses 32 to 40, and we'll pick up uh, next week with chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down and after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had, been given a friendly, she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women re received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the living God, and we give thanks to him. Now, the letter... Uh, to the Hebrews was written uh, to a group of converted Jews. They had converted to Christianity, and there was a tiny little congregation, and they were facing persecution uh, by their family members who were still in Judaism and their community, and in particular the Roman government, uh, because of their faith. And as a result of this persecution, 
they were about to throw into towel. They were on the verge of giving up on the Lord Jesus, walking away from him. And what the author of this letter has been doing from the very beginning is giving them the resources that they need to persevere in and through uh, those sufferings. And not merely to endure with sort of a a white-knuckle determination, but to do so with joy and hope in the Lord. Now, what is it that they needed? What is it that you and I need in the midst of our suffering? Well, it's all over Hebrews, and in particular, it's all over Hebrews 11. We need faith. And not just any old faith, not wishful thinking for our best life now. That's not biblical faith. No, we need faith in God. We need reliance upon God, trust in God. And the author has defined for us what genuine biblical faith is back in verse 1 of chapter 11. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things unseen. So, um, biblical faith is not wishing really hard for uh, your ideal life that you have imagined uh, in your head. No, genuine Christian faith is a certainty. It's an assurance that what God promises in His Word is absolutely true, and absolutely reliable, even if you don't see those promises realized in your lifetime. You live as if they are as good as done. In Hebrews 11, we see one illustration after another of what it looks like to live by faith in the promises of God, to live with this assurance things hoped for, this conviction of things unseen the author shows us an array of men and women from the old testament who faced all kinds of unimaginable hardships and yet some of them were enabled by faith to overcome those hardships and some were enabled to persevere through them by that same faith and we learn here Uh, where that faith came from, uh, how they got it, uh, and how it worked in their lives, and how it can work in our lives in the midst of our sufferings. Um, So the first thing that we see uh, in this passage from verses 29 to 35 is that faith sometimes triumphs over humanly impossible obstacles. Faith sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes faith triumphs over humanly impossible obstacles. Remember last week, Alex preached to us about the Israelites, along with Moses, going through the Red Sea, and it parted miraculously. So they walked through on dry ground, and they came to Jericho with those massive walls, and they marched around it for seven days, and then uh, on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times and gave a shout, and... The walls fell down. Uh, Those were two 
impossible, humanly speaking, impossible obstacles. The Red Sea and the walls of Jericho. Uh, they, they stood in the way of God's people escaping the Egyptian army and the walls stood in the way of possession, possessing the promised land. Well, how did they get across the Red Sea? And how did the walls of Jericho come down? The text tells us, by faith. By faith. They trusted the promise of God and they obeyed his commands even though it made absolutely no sense from a human standpoint. I mean, there's Moses. All he's got is a stick. And he's standing before the Red Sea and all of the armies of Egypt, along with Pharaoh and his chariots, are breathing down their neck. And God says, put that stick out over the water. What's, what's that going to do? Just do what I say, Moses. And he did, and God parted the waters. He trusted the, the word of God. And the obstacles were miraculously removed. The waters parted, and when they got to Jericho, the walls fell. Well, the author moves on in verse 32 to others who experienced similar mighty acts of God all by faith. He says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets. Uh, he's now sort of going at... at um, lightning speed through the rest of the Old Testament uh, to show us these illustrations of what it means to live by faith. You, you probably know about Gideon in the book of Judges. God called him to lead Israel in battle against the Midianites. Uh, he originally had 32,000 men at his disposal, and God said, you've got too many. You've got to whittle it down. And, and he, he whittled the army down to 300 men against the armies of Midian, which were like the sands on the seashore. And he did this, God did this, to show that the power to defeat the vast armies that were raging against Israel were not going to be, uh, the, the, the victory was not going to be Israel's but God's. The power to do this was not going to be Gideon's but God's. And God worked through the faltering faith. You remember Gideon? He was just all over the place trusting God's promise. And God worked through the faltering faith of this man to overcome the humanly impossible obstacle of the Midianite armies. Uh, Barak, not our former president, was also one of Israel's judges who led God's people in a victory against Sisera, uh, the Canaanite general and his 900 chariots of iron. Samson delivered the Israelites from the Philistines, uh, even though his character was full of moral compromises. Jephthah, another judge, defeated the Ammonites, even though he made a foolish vow uh, that cost the life of his daughter. He moves on to David and Samuel and the prophets. You remember David? He was Israel's greatest king. Uh, as a teenage boy, he killed the giant, the Philistine giant, Goliath. He endured King Saul's relentless attacks on him, and he was finally exalted as the king. And God made an everlasting covenant with David. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 7, where uh, he, he promised David uh, 
that he would have a son that would sit on his throne forever. And that promise uh, contained the promise of the birth of the Messiah in David's line. And you think with all that greatness, with all that blessing, uh, David was still a great sinner who was guilty of adultery, murder, and conspiracy to cover it all up. Um, Yet all these flawed people triumphed over humanly impossible obstacles. Look, Look at verse 33 to 35 again. Through faith they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. That's probably a reference to Daniel in the lion's den in Daniel chapter 3. Samson and David also killed lions. They quenched the power of fire. That's probably a shout out to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Daniel's friends who defied King Nebuchadnezzar, refusing to bow down to that golden image that the king had set up. Uh, He said, bow down to this image or I'm going to toss you into that fiery furnace uh, and kill you. And uh, they refused uh, and they were tossed in the furnace. And they said, look, our God can deliver us and he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow down to you. And their faith uh, delivered them. They were miraculously rescued by a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus in the fire with them. In every one of these situations, there were overwhelming odds, humanly impossible obstacles. And so they looked to God in faith, and he intervened and enabled them to triumph over those obstacles. They did it by faith, and they did what they could never do on their own. And the author finishes this amazing litany of triumph in verse 35 where he says, women receive back their dead by resurrection. And this is a reference to two women in the Old Testament, one in 1 Kings 17 and the other in 2 Kings 4. In 1 Kings 17, the widow of Zarephath, she was not an Israelite woman, a widow up in the uh, northern uh, part of um, Israel, and she had a son who died, and Elijah came along, and God used Elijah to bring that son back from the dead. And then in 2 Kings 4, there's a Shunammite woman who, through the ministry of Elisha, received her son back from the dead. Humanly impossible obstacles overcome by faith. And these, these triumphs teach us that God can deliver anyone, anytime he wants from anything. God can deliver anyone, anytime he wants from anything, from sickness and death, from injustice, from intractable patterns of sin, uh, from the growing oppression of a godless culture, whatever. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. And yet, and yet, God hasn't promised promised deliverance in this life for his people at all times and in every situation. Hebrews 11 doesn't end halfway through verse 35. 
we see a dramatic shift that takes place in Hebrews 11.35b. And what we learn from the rest of the chapter is that faith not only triumphs over humanly impossible obstacles, faith also perseveres through unimaginable suffering. Look at the middle of verse 35. After the resurrection of these two sons, it says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. In, in verse 33, uh, all of those great victories, conquering kingdoms, administering justice, and all the rest, they were all done by faith. Shut the mouths of lions, etc. All by faith. And then without a break, the author goes right into all the miseries, not just the triumphs, but the tragedies, the sufferings, not just the successes, but the sufferings of verse 35 and following. By faith, some were tortured, and others experienced mockings and floggings and chains and imprisonment. All this suffering is received and endured by faith, just like all those wonderful victorious triumphs. You see it again in verse 39. All these, that is, all these suffering people, though commended or approved by God through their faith, did not receive in this life, that is, what was promised. Some escaped death by faith, but there were others. There are always others, always others, who were stoned, sawn in two. That's in all likelihood a reference to the extra-biblical tradition that Isaiah, the prophet, was sawn in two by the wicked king Manasseh. Um, and then others were killed with the sword, all by faith. Some escaped hardships, but others suffered, suffered deprivation. They, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You've, you've got to know that the sufferings of the people of God described here in verses 35 to 38 are not because of unbelief, because they didn't have enough faith, or because God was displeased with them. Rather, his approval rested on them precisely because of their faith. They were commended by God for their faith. So your circumstances, whether painful or pleasant, are not owing to whether you have enough faith. The Bible tells us that God is sovereign over all of the details of our lives and that he decides, not we, he decides if and when and how we suffer and how we die and when we die. And faith means trusting him for his good and wise purposes. 
I want us to think just for a moment before we conclude about the power of faith to endure or to persevere through the suffering of persecution. It was not only growing and becoming more intense for this fledgling congregation of uh, Jewish Christians, but uh, the threat of persecution is pressing in on the church, not only around the world, but here in the States. And there have always been faithful Christians who trusted God and yet endured unimaginable persecution. Uh, many commentators uh, believe the reference to those tortured here in verse 35 uh, that the author is talking about the Maccabean persecution that took place during the time between the closing of the Old Testament and the coming of Christ, which was a period of about 400 years. During that time, the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes uh, attacked and then uh, defeated and occupied Israel. And he brutally persecuted the Jews. He would bring the priests out into the public square and demand that they recant their faith in God and all of uh, his laws and swear allegiance to him, to Antiochus. And if they refused, then he would torture and kill them in front of all the people to make an example out of them. And in one account recorded in uh, the book of Maccabees, uh, there was a mother who had seven sons and they were all brought out and told to recant their faith in God and swear devotion to King Antiochus. And if they didn't, the text says that they would have their tongues cut out, their limbs chopped off, and they would be scalped. And if they were still alive after all of that, they'd be roasted over a fire in front of all of their brothers and their mother. And in the text in 2 Maccabees chapter 7, uh, it says that the mother of these sons stood there and encouraged her boys to die with courage. Imagine that, moms. You watch seven of your sons uh, lined up by the king, and they're going to die before your very eyes. What are you going to do? How, what are you going to say? How are you going to respond? Well, listen to what this mother said to them. It was not I who gave you life and breath. It was the creator of the world who shaped the beginning of man and devised the origin of all things and who will in his mercy give life and breath back to you again since you now forget yourselves for his sake. And every one of those boys died bravely for their faith in God. And the youngest son, who was the last to be called by the king to come forward, he said to the king before he was tortured and killed, he said, my brothers, after enduring their brief pain, now drink of everlasting life by virtue of God's covenant. And then he put out his tongue and he stretched out his hands and he said, take them. I got them from heaven and for God's sake, I give them up. But from him, I will get them back. How did these brothers face that horror with such courage? This isn't fairy tale stuff. This really happened. How did they do that? How was that mother able to encourage her boys 
like she did and watch her precious sons ripped apart before her eyes. Well, the two women in verse 35 received their sons back from the dead, but this woman had seven sons tortured and there was no miracle, no intervention, no rescue. But she and her sons endured. How? I mean, that begs to be asked. Well, the answer is right here in the text. In verse 35, it says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life or a better resurrection. As great as it was for the widow of Zarephath to receive her son back, And as great as it was for the Shunammite woman to get her son back from the dead, as amazing as it was for Lazarus to be brought back from the dead and Jairus' daughter to be raised, all of those great miracles displaying the mighty power of God, but they were only temporary resuscitations because all of those people eventually died again. The mother's faith of those seven sons, her faith was not in the mere possibility of a resuscitation. Her faith was in the certainty of a future resurrection. She knew, she had the assurance, the conviction that death was going to be defeated and reversed because God had promised in his word. And this faith in the future resurrection is what you and I need. It's not what just the the mother needed and the sons needed and the original readers of this letter, what they needed in the face of their sufferings and persecutions is what you and I need to face and persevere through any and every kind of suffering that we may encounter in our lives that you may be going through this morning. Faith doesn't say, if God really loved me, he would get me out of this mess. If God really loved me, then I wouldn't hurt so much. If God really loved me, then I wouldn't suffer. I wouldn't go through these hardships. I'd have my best life now. No, faith is certain that there's a resurrection for believers, which is better than the miracle of escape from suffering. It's better than what happened to the widow's sons who returned to life only to die again later. Faith says whether God rescues me from suffering or gives me over to torture, He, God, is my treasure. God is my reward. Not an easy, comfortable, pain-free life. God is my rock. God is my refuge, not my money, Not my retirement accounts, not my dream home, not my family. He is the builder of the city I long for. He is the treasure beyond all the riches of this world. One author put it this way. The greatest challenge of the book of Hebrews is to cultivate such a deep and satisfying relationship with God that we rest in him, whether living or dying, whether comfortable or miserable, 
It's to cultivate an unshakable confidence that God himself is better than anything life can give us or that death can take away from us. Do you believe that? Do you have that faith? It's not an amount of faith. It's the object of your faith. Is your confidence in God. Where does this unshakable confidence come from? Well, we're told in verse 39 and 40, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. What gave these believers such courage, whether they escaped suffering or endured it? They were looking forward to something that hadn't happened yet. They were, they were waiting for better things, something better, which can only be seen and experienced through faith in Jesus Christ. And those of us who have trusted in him have received in part what they were waiting for. Verse 40 tells us that God has prepared something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Or in other words, that together with us, they will be made perfect. We will be made perfect together. Think, we, we've received, what's the better that we've received? Far greater resources than they had. Uh, better blessings, of a, a better covenant, a better priest, better sacrifice. Jesus is the fulfillment of what they only knew in type and shadow. We have the completed revelation of God in the Old and New Testament. We have the indwelling holy spirit and we will be perfected together with them when jesus returns and makes all things new we have all that because when jesus was mocked and flogged and tortured and nailed to that cross there was no rescue for him there was no intervention no miraculous escape he cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me Three days later, God raised his son from the dead, conquering sin and death and hell for all who put their faith in him. Not his gifts, but in him. And when you are gripped by the reality that Jesus did that for you personally, not just for a, a mass of faceless humanity, but for you personally, then you'll be able to face and endure anything for him. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you can know with absolute certainty that all your sorrows and sufferings in this life will only make the glory that awaits you in the final resurrection even greater. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And he goes on to say, for I am sure, he says, I'm certain, I have faith this profound conviction that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And friends, the only reasonable response to that is love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen.
Father, would you work this faith, this confidence, this assurance um, in our lives. We, um, we live and move and have our being in you, and we, we face all kinds of hardships and sufferings in this life, this fallen world. Would you give us the, the confidence, the rock-solid assurance that you're for us and not against us because of Jesus and that you're working all the things, painful and pleasant, together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose? Um, perhaps there are some here this morning who uh, do not have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Would you grant the miracle of repentance and faith to them? Give them new life in Christ where they sit and enable them by grace to endure uh, whatever you have for them and to do so with joy and confidence in the, the final resurrection. Um, and as we come now to the Lord's Supper, to feast on Christ by faith. Would you uh, open our eyes to see in these ordinary elements of bread and wine uh, the life-giving love of our Savior? And may we eat and drink um, being satisfied in Him and equipped and enabled and strengthened to go from here to live for His glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.